welcome to another edition of Storytelling on Orchard Street. I'm Pete Salamini, your host. We are in the PT Knitwear Bookstore, 180 Orchard Street. Uh, with me in the studio today is Francine Witt. Uh, Francine's uh, flash fiction and poetry have appeared in numerous journals. Most recently, her stories have been in Best Small Fictions and Flash Fiction America. Her latest flash fiction book is Just Outside the Tunnel of Love. Okay, we have that. Uh, you can, yeah, that's it. <laughs> and that's on Blue Light Press. And she has an upcoming collection of poetry. Some Distant Pin of Light is forthcoming from Servana Barver Press. She lives in New York City. Visit her website, Francine Witt, F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E-W-I-T-T-E dot com. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yes. Um, so um, we had a nice little chat. We both got here early. Yes, we did. And we sat um, for some reason. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, you're on. I'm having trouble hearing you. Maybe a little closer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Don't be afraid to talk. Okay. That's it. Okay. Um, <laughs> we had a little pre-interview sitting outside, and it's a beautiful day here in Lower East Side. Uh-huh. Spring. Gorgeous. Yes. Um, so... We have things to talk about, don't we? Do okay. Uh, first, I like the listeners to get a little background on uh, my guest um, outside of or including uh, how you became a poet and a writer. Sure. Well, um, I was always interested in writing poetry. I think I wrote my first poems when I was thirteen, and um, didn't do very much with them. But later on, I went back to college. I what were they about? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah like. Um, they were very rhymey. Okay. And they were very dark. Oh. I wrote a lot about the devil's call, you know, and, uh, you know, like the war, you know, the war that's going on and everything. Huh. And, and so I was, uh, I was, I was Vietnam? Um, this was actually before Vietnam. Oh. Yeah. Okay. It's like back in the 60s, you know, right. early 60s. Right. And, um, so then later on, I started writing again, and I learned how to write free verse, and I really fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. And um, later on, I gravitated to flash fiction. Right. And I also wrote one-act plays um, uh, for a while. How about post-high school? Did you study um, writing? You know, my uh, you know my 20s were just kind of like a blur. But by the way, where, where, <laughs> yeah. where did you grow up? I grew up in Queens. Right, you're a Queens gal. Queens, New York. You're not the, you're yeah. not the first Queens gal that's been on the show. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure. You know. Right. Yeah. And you currently live in Manhattan. I do. I right. live on the Upper East Side. Did you ever live anywhere else? I lived in Vermont. Okay. Burlington, Vermont. I went to school there. Oh, that's beautiful up there. Yeah. I love Vermont. Yeah, I was there when Bernie... Well, Wait, what school did you say you went to? The University of Vermont. Okay, right. And I was there when Bernie became the mayor. Wow, he okay. Be- he won by 10 votes. Wow, close he, race. <laughs> he went around, he, How many people voted? Well, you know what he did? There was like a, there was a, a machine in power at okay. that point, like this family that had been uh, the mayor forever. Right. And he went around and got all the... Uh, College kids registered. Oh yeah, that's and smart. That, and that's right. who voted him in, and right. he, won, he won by ten. Yeah, and everybody was like amazed, you know. So um, that was my first exposure to Bernie, and he really, you know, made, made Burlington kind of a much more fun place to live. Nice. And so I, I lived there for five years, 
and then I moved to Buffalo. What did you, what did you study, did you say? English. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Because when I went back to school, the first time I tried school right after high school, yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. Right. I, I really was just kind of a... Oh, a lot of teenagers don't know yeah, what they're doing. College like, is a pretty big step. I, didn't, I was like, what yeah. am I doing? Right. So I just ended up sort of floating around for a few years after that. And when I went back to college, it was like, well, I'm going to do this for what I'm really interested in and not what I think I could get a job as. Right. And um, so I said, well, just, I've always been interested in writing, so I'll become an English major. Nice. And that's when I started taking writing workshops and uh, studied with, my first writing teacher was Julia Alvarez, who uh, is just a big deal, you know, and I didn't know it at the time. Right. So, but she really taught me a lot. She really taught me a lot about writing, you know, being very concrete mm-hmm. in your in your imagery and all that. And um, and then I just went on. I went on and got a master's. And you know, we were talking outside about Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. I studied a lot of Shakespeare. And so good. I, I kind of thought about going a little. It was either going to be. I was either going to go for a PhD in Shakespeare. Or I was going to pursue the writing, and I went with the writing. Okay. So. And then eventually you became a teacher? Yeah, um, because, well, after my first marriage um, failed, you know, I was like, well, now what am I going to do? So I was in Buffalo. So you said first, how many have there been? Two. Okay. I'm on my second. (laughs) All right. (laughs) (laughs) And he's a keeper, so I think I'll stick with him. Okay. But, so... I was just wondering if you were the Elizabeth Taylor of the um, of the writing world. I, you know, I guess if I were going to live into 150, right, that probably that could be. You might probably, you might make that. There probably would have been a few more, but um, I shouldn't say that really. <laughs> My husband's watching, so he knows you love him. He does. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, but. Um, so, oh, right. So the teaching. So I had studied all this English. I had my master's in um, in English. I didn't really quite know what to do with it. So I went and got my teacher certification. Okay. And then I moved back to New York City. I had been out of New York City for 13 years. I moved back, and I didn't want to become a teacher. I came back to study playwriting because oh, I, wow. had a, I had had a play produced up in Buffalo. Nice. Okay, what was the play about? It was called Burying 4D, and it was about this woman who um, the upstairs neighbor dies uh, and falls through the floor into her, you know, the the bathtub it overflowed, falls through the floor, and now so she is going to have the funeral for the woman in apartment 4D, who she really didn't know. Right. Because she's this lonely old woman. Oh, cow. What a story. And yeah, and so it got produced, and it was oh. like it was really kind of a lot of fun. Right. And you know, it was, it, I, I, by that subject matter, I'm, I'm guessing it wasn't a musical. It was a comedy. <laughs> yeah. it really? Was, it was a comedy. Wow. Yeah. Okay. A dark comedy. <laughs> yeah. Right. And uh, so I thought, okay, like I'd like to. So I was at this point where, okay, what am I going to do now? And so I thought, I'll go back to New York, study playwriting at Playwrights Horizons, okay. and um, I'll be a temp during the day. Right. I had done a lot of that during my 20s. I okay. attempt a lot during mm-hmm. my 20s. And so um, I came back, and the temp market really wasn't as good as I thought it would be. It had oh. kind of dried up. Oh. And so I was taking classes at, at Playwrights, 
and that was really fun. Um, but, you know, I needed a job. So I, um, I ended up with a job, like, for a year, but it didn't pay very much. Okay. I was a receptionist. Like, they don't have really receptionists anymore, but, you know, I was actually someone who actually answered. Yeah, especially now with, with um, people right. working from home <laughs> or right. scattered and, or whatever. Well, you can't, you can't get a live person to answer a phone I know. Anymore, I hate so. it. But um, I was the person who goes, oh, hello, you know, and... Right. So that, that I, was, I could see you having a nice voice for a telephone. Oh, I, I really kind of loved yeah. it, and we had good people. I worked at a, a speaker agency, and we had people like Leonard Nimoy was oh, a client. Nice. And Adam West called in one time, oh. and, you know, and I said to him, "Batman." <laughs> <laughs> I, I, he never gets that. I'm, I'm assuming. And he was like, "Could be." I think he. he I think he relishes it. He's not one of those. No, um, he's like, he's not. He's not um, Fred Munster. No, he was Fred. Fred Gwynn. Oh, he he was um, a real serious actor, oh. and he didn't like that. That was his association mm-hmm. as an actor for the rest of his life. Yeah, it really bothered him. Yeah, it's surprising because uh, I guess he, you know, I guess uh, my cousin Vinny was serious. Right. Right. <laughs> so. Um, but it's, it's interesting, yeah. yeah. But but Adam Adam West was like he was kind of delighted actually. Right. Yeah, you know? I bet. Yeah, because he's uh, one of those guys that went to all those, um, you know, like, the, the comic cons and, and all that right. kind of stuff. Yeah, he 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 yeah he milked it for all it was worth. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and why not? And it was a not? fun show. I, I watched that was, show every week when I was a kid. Loved it. I thought it was. And so still holds up. It's so goofy. It's so you know? funny. Yeah, really it really is great. Yeah. So. And I always wanted to be Julie Newmore. Oh, I always wow. thought Julie Newmore, yeah, my God, I bet. <laughs> who doesn't want to look like right. that, you know? Yeah. So. Um, and uh, a lot of guys, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> had their crush on her, too. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so there was the Adam West for the girls and Julie Newmore for the guys. Yeah. 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 And so it worked out nicely. And there was, I'm sure somebody uh, liked Robin. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. I always felt, that he, I don't know why, he always annoyed me a little bit. I think he was supposed to be annoying. I guess so, right? Yeah. It's like the little sidekick. So let's like, just yeah. talk the rest of the episode about, about 60s, 60s yeah. sitcoms. And it, it could work. You well, know? I'll have you on another time. We'll do that. Okay. Because we have a lot to talk about. You yes. are, you're a very busy woman. So um, then you became a teacher. And right. So then after a while, I just said, okay, I have this teacher license. I guess I better use it. So I became a teacher. And then what happens unfortunately with teaching is you get sucked into it like you don't have I had time to still write but the other part of it like the going to readings I was doing a lot of one act plays at the time okay um, so that didn't take too much time in the same way but um, I did that um, there there were a, a few theaters that kind of um, nourished uh, people doing that like you have huh. a little one act play right. cool. they, would, they would do like these evenings but that kind of dried up after a while right and why do you so, think that happened um because it sounds like a great idea i, I would love they, to go to something like that i think they just run out of money they're, they're right. these little theater companies and then they get kicked out of the space right and yeah you know a little sure. gentrification on 42nd right. street mm-hmm. right. just killed all that yeah. you know the, we used to do these one act plays up in the fourth floor fourth floor walk up of this really, like, I'm surprised the building didn't fall down on us, you know. Uh, But it was great. And how many one-act plays would be shown at a time? Like 
four or five. That's great. And I love be, that. There would be like an uh, like an A program right. from seven to nine, and then a B program from nine. That's to so nine. cool. I love that idea. I, we should bring that back. Oh, I loved it so much. You have to go to like Bushwick or something to do yeah. that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. Right. And then at the same time, I started. I just sort of discovered flash fiction. Right. And so, how long has that term been used? Well, I think it was actually coined uh, by the fellow that is the editor of Flash Fiction, the um, the Norton anthology, um, and uh, James Thomas, I think. Um, if I'm not. But it's a recent, relatively recent thing. It's. When does it go back to what what decade? Um, I'm going to say it probably actually started in the '80s. That's what I was going to guess. But. It really has, it's really caught on uh, more in the last decade mm-hmm. or so. Yeah, I, I see that. And, uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's like so, it's everywhere. Right. It's really everywhere. So you started talking about flash fiction. You want to talk about flash fiction, and then we'll get to poetry later, or vice versa. Sure. You're going to read um, flash fiction. Yeah. So um, you have the new book of flash fiction. I mean, you've done other flash fiction books before? Yes, I have um, two. Well, I have a couple of chat books. Right. Um, in 2010, I won a chapbook competition um, through Ropewalk Press, and it was judged by Robert Olin Butler, okay. Pulitzer Prize winner. And m- when I entered the contest, I thought, I just want him to read my st- my stories. Right. I, like I, you know, I didn't even think about winning, but it's like I just want his eyes on, That's great. on my. And stories. you wound up winning. That's awesome, right? Yeah. And um, so that really just gave me. Um, I had been publishing flash fiction before right. in uh, print journals. Okay. Um, I you know I did. How far I, back does this go? This was like the nineties. Okay, and before the nineties, did you have any um, poetry books or any other kinds of books? Or? I didn't have any books until recently. Okay, like you know, I did, the whole like um, you know nineties and and aughts or whatever we call right. them. Uh, I didn't have any books, okay. and then all of a sudden now I have ten books or eleven wow. books. Yeah, busy woman. Yeah, well, some, well, some of that is because um, you're not teaching anymore. You have more time to devote um, to it, or yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that it makes just sense. Kind of, I had a little bit more time to dedicate myself right. and just certain opportunities. Um, push the mic a little closer to you. I'm, I'm okay. Gonna make sure we pick you up, especially when you okay. start reading. How about you read something from the book, okay. and then we'll talk more because okay. I want to make sure we get in some of your readings before sounds good as many as possible. All right. So my book is called Just Outside the Tunnel of Love. And this is the title story. Just outside the tunnel of love, and Benny Jones telling me about Darlene. In other words, he pulled me through to unlove me. Something about how love is a crispy pepper one minute, but then it goes wilty and soft. I told him I'm not a goddamn pepper and get to the goddamn point. Problem is, I gave Benny my heart too fast. My heart is a bristle I keep in my pocket, and I can never wait to give it away. Benny Jones sat in the boat in the tunnel of love, all squirm and tangle of words. Friends, he was saying, and didn't mean to. Then he pointed to a pin's worth of light right there in front of us. That's the future, he said. It gets bigger and brighter the closer we get, all beautiful and warm. I told Benny to shut the hell up. If we're not a thing, we're not a thing. But don't go making a movie out of it. 
When we did get outside the tunnel of love into the future Benny Jones had promised me would be warm and bright, I didn't see anything. I didn't feel anything. Just thought back to that summer of my grandmother's house where her old dog Punch got a fever and she was going to shoot him. How I stroked Punch's tan fur, telling him, it's okay, boy, when I knew damn well it wasn't. My heart wriggling around in my pocket, even then, with no damn place for it to go. Oh, man. That's some ending. Thank you. So, um, was there a Benny in your life, or this is completely... Oh, you know, Benny is like, you know, I have Bennies and Charlies and Harrys. Well, those are good names for for characters. They're they're all like composites of guys that I've known, guys that my women friends have known. You know what I mean? They're like... um, They're guys. Yeah, they're guys. They do what guys do. (laughs) In the tunnel of love sometimes. Yeah. I love Mm -hmm. that, the tunnel of love. It's a great place to start a story. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Um, so uh, how long did it take you to put that book together? Well, I had written a lot of the stories. Um, I would say the, the stories were written over maybe two or three years. Okay. And then, um, you know, the the first book that I had dressed, uh, dressed all wrong for this, that took a little bit longer to put together, and I, and I won uh, the Blue Light Contest. Well, you win a lot of awards, don't you? Yeah, that's how I've had that's how I've had some of my, most of the books published, right? Like through contests. Cool. So, so um, now I'm, I should have introduced you as the award-winning uh, Francine <laughs> Witt. <laughs> so, um, so, so anyway, Blue Light uh, published it, and then just a few years went by, and and I asked Diane if she would do another book. Hmm. Diane Frank, okay. who's the publisher of Got Blue it. Light Press, right. and she said, "Oh yeah, you know, it'd be great." So, um, so once I when she said yes, it, you know, it took me a few months to kind of like decide mm-hmm. what's going to go in. Is there um, other, is, is it is it a thematic book at all? Or there, is there a connection to the stories or you it's know, just what you felt like the best things you've written in the last well, few years? Well, that's, that's probably it. Like for me, I said, well, every story in here has to be what I consider for me a 10. Mm-hmm. And I think that should be true of any book. Right. When you put a book together, make sure everything in there, no fillers, no right. no stories that, well, I'm just sort of like rounding out the theme. Like, don't, right. don't do it. Right. Because the readers, readers not, or they're not stupid. Right. You know, they pick up. And it's better to leave them story. wanting more than saying, oh, okay, yeah. this is too much. <laughs> well, you know, um, or maybe maybe you're not ready to put a book together if you don't have enough stories that you like they don't have to be a 10 right. in the world right. but for you right I'm they should have meaning to you right they right. should be as good if they don't mean something to you then why put them yeah. in the book? right well and they should be something that you're really proud of right you know so um, but it's a hard thing to do and some like my book i don't know if i put too many store um uh pieces in the book i was kind of hoping uh my friend um I don't know if he's listening to this, but um, I was hoping he maybe maybe would have said, "Don't oh, that was too many," or maybe mm-hmm. take this out. And mm-hmm. He didn't. I don't know if they're yeah. uh, looking back at it. Right. If they're, it's hard because sometimes you look at something and it may not be, you know, good enough to put in a book, but for some reason it had a meaning to you. That's the that's where the yeah. line is difficult. Like it means something to you, yeah. and you can't tell whether it would mean something to somebody else. Well, I, I think it. If it means something to you, you know, because I, I believe in a universality. But do you, of, do, do you, 
I'm sorry. Do you think there's a difference, though, when you put a poetry book and a flash fiction book when it comes to that, what we just talked about? Um, I think they're probably the same okay. in the sense Because I was just wondering... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, in the sense of you want everything in there to be something you feel really proud of. Right. Um, even, if it, even if it's the kind of thing you sent out a hundred times and nobody ever took, but you liked it. Right. And this is like... You know, one day people will catch up and they'll get it. You know, mm -hmm. um, you're not trying to push it through. Right. You know, that those are the ones you leave out. I think, um, you know, you might decide on putting, you have a theme or you want to put some funny stories in and then some serious stories. Right, you want to balance it. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, let's I, read, I want you to read another one. Okay. Yeah. So. In flash fiction, people are always asking me, what is flash fiction? So um, there is a, a, a very famous magazine that came out this past week or so. I don't know if I'm allowed to mention the name. But it had a thumbprint, an orange thumbprint. And in the center of the thumbprint were these, this like open mouth. And you were asked to sort of put that together. And it's Donald Trump. You know, uh -huh. this is fingerprint, right. orange fingerprint. And so I feel like that's flash fiction. Um, it's You're given just enough information, and then the reader fills in the rest. Oh, interesting. I that's, never thought of it that way. That's what makes it different than just a 300-word story. Right, because um, like I told you, when we were sitting outside, I was published um, in a multimedia uh, um, online magazine, mm -hmm. and um, some of the things I gave for the publication were labeled as flash fiction. Mm -hmm. But I have to admit, I, I was really didn't had heard that term before and wasn't setting right. out to write flash right. fiction. Right. It's just um, a lot of my poems become more story-like than right. a poem. Right, yeah. yeah. Like, it's, it's a very uh, thin line, right. you know, between poetry, flash, micros, prose poems. It's all like, yeah. you know. Okay, so what's the next one you're going to read? So, so What's the backstory now? So, the ba so anyway... Um, this, uh, there's a six-word story that uh, er, it's very famous. Er, Ernest Hemingway wrote it. It's called "For Sale: Baby Shoes Never Worn." Okay, okay. that's right. the whole story. Right. So, um, you know, it's an example of flash because you're supposed to fill in the story. So, I based a story on that, and it's called "Another Take on the Story." Okay. Maybe there had been a baby shower. And there was a registry with a pair of shoes on the list, but the baby's grandmother never checked the list, having spent the last few months in Europe, and she picked up the identical pair of shoes in a shop in Barcelona on one of her typical sprees. Or maybe they were being sold, never used, because the baby himself was such a charitable little chap and said, in baby talk, of course, Mama, I have everything I need. Please sell my unused, never-worn shoes and give them to somebody, some unlucky baby, and give the money to some unlucky baby who doesn't have the good fortune to be born to you and Pop. Or maybe still the father's mistress snuck them into his briefcase, hoping the father would find them and realize what a generous soul she is, and he would leave his selfish wife like he was always saying he would. Or maybe the father wasn't even sure in the first place that the kid was his after all. And who the hell cares if the little brat runs around shoeless? And he's just lucky not to live near a hillside. But most likely, 
It's exactly what you thought, and the baby actually died. Oh, man. <laughs> For some reason, I had a feeling that could be the way it was going to go. Mm -hmm. the, by the way, the baby is very well-spoken and charitable, too. Very, yes. Yes. <laughs> I love that. So that was really an Ernest Hemingway story? That just yes. that? Those words? Yes. Where was that? Uh, you know, I don't know, but it's it's sort of always brought up as an example of the shortest flash fiction, the six yeah, Well, how story. do you get shorter than that, really? You really can't. <laughs> but it tells tells a story really it succinctly. It does, yes, yeah. it does. That's cool. Mm -hmm. And I love that you wrote a story based on yes. that. So yeah. cool. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so uh, I, I, I do a lot of stories based on on prompts, you know, mm -hmm. um, I find them very helpful, both in poetry and in writing. Right. And so I was in. A, what can be a prompt? Um, well. What's considered a prompt for a you? A prompt could be something like, like for this story, this next story. Uh, I was in a workshop, and Pam Painter, who's a very, very well-known flash fiction writer and a short story writer, she said. Uh, Write a write a road trip story. Oh, okay. Just right. There's it. So, I said, well, I'm gonna go like go left with or left with this. Right. Um, and this is what I wrote. Okay. Just another road trip story. Throw in a woman. Throw in a man. Throw in a broke down Chevy. Throw in a body in the trunk. Throw in a gas station bramble and brush hopper pumps and rattlesnake shiver. Throw in the hot armpit sun. Throw in the woman's husband who, of course, is in the trunk. Throw in the way you eyed the DoorDash guy. No, that's another story. Throw in Arizona. A road trip story is always Arizona. Desert and plump of dune in the background. The man, the woman, the husband in the trunk pulling into a gas station. Throw in a lonely pop machine where only a quarter will roll out a Coke as crisp and cold as movie Christmas. Throw in the gas station attendant about to open the trunk. I'm going to check the spare for air, he probably says. Throw in the way your husband doesn't look at you anymore, not with anything close to desire. Throw in how you kind of, sort of understand the woman in the road trip story and whatever she did to put her husband in the trunk. Throw in the man throwing his meat fist on the trunk. Thanks anyway, old man. We just need gas. Throw in the smell of rotting corpse working into the Arizona air. Throw in how your husband goes corpse when you tell him your life is a desert and his love would be like water. Throw in the gas station attendant going fisheye with suspicion. Throw in how he sidles inside and rings up the sheriff. Throw in a shootout at the end of the road. Throw in your refrigerator, dune in the background. Throw in no one there to check if anyone needs air. Throw in you just sitting there with no idea how this story will end. That's great. I love how you um, introduce uh, a couple different subjects and then came back to them. That's, I like that. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. And I, and I like the, oh, sorry, I like the form. You know, the, 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 the repetition. The, yeah, 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 it's really it's, cool. Yeah. It, made, it told a story, but very different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you mind if I read one? Oh, please. So um, I told you while we were sitting outside, um, I worked uh, for an AIDS charity. Um, this mm -hmm. story um, 
was one of two, I think, that talks about AIDS crisis in a mm -hmm. different way. And uh, this came up on my uh, memories on Facebook. Mm -hmm. So I think I wrote it a year ago. Um, but anyway, I used to, you know, be involved uh, with AIDS uh, community in the 90s. And sometimes the thought about that comes back to me. Sure. And um, I forgot who it was, but it was a famous actress, and I don't remember who it was, who said that sometimes she laughs um, at the wrong place, in the wrong place, you know, at a funeral or in a church or something, and she doesn't mean to. And um, so this is what came out of me hearing it. It's called Last, uh, Laughter Instead of Crying. It was 1996, a memory that stays in a uh, place in my heart that will never leave. My knees wobbled as I looked at my partner lying in the casket, his skin powdered in gray, what was left of his beautiful head of hair neatly combed. The suit he bought for our anniversary pressed smooth as if new off the rack. His polka dot tie held in a place by the tie clasp with his initials spelled out in diamonds. He had style in life and I thought he'd be critical of his appearance if he was standing next to me. With shaken hands I made the sign of the cross, held his hand and stared at him. And then without warning I burst out in loud, uncontrollable laughter. The room got so quiet you could hear my heartbeat. No one moved an inch. I turned around and gathered my composure and spoke. I'm sorry I've cried enough for a lifetime. We both shared so much love and so much pain. Like the first time we held hands walking in the village and got attacked and beaten by a mob of angry teens hurling homophobic slurs. We sobbed when Larry was first diagnosed with HIV. When longtime friends and family slowly eased out of our lives. I cried like a baby when he was in the ICU with pneumocystis pneumonia, I don't know if I pronounced that right, and the household staff wouldn't let me come in the room and hold his hands because I was in the family. No, we both had a lifetime worth of crying. This hurts too much. I'm all cried out. With that, my friends who were brothers that somehow had managed to still be with me that day came to me and we held each other without speaking. We had all been through this grief countless times in our lives. Something's just understood and no need for words to describe. That day was a defining moment in my life, and I still laugh sometimes instead of crying. Mm. That's really like, heart-wrenching. Yeah, thanks. It's beautiful. Thank you. So um, should we talk a little bit about your poetry? Because you got a book coming out, and then we'll go back to flash fiction? Sure. Okay. So um, I forgot the name of your, your poetry collection that's coming um, out. Some Distant Pin of Light. Okay. Um, and tell me about that. Well, that's um, I've had... Uh, I've had two full-length collections. I've had, um, I think, three uh, chapbooks. Which one do you write more, poetry or um, uh, flesh so, fiction? That's a good question. I I usually uh, was writing more poetry, but then I switched to flash fiction. But now I'm sort of leaning back a little bit towards mm -hmm. poetry. Okay. It kind of, you know, kind of comes and goes. And the book that's coming out, are they new poems, or is it a collection um, from uh, different times of your life? Or um, You know, they're probably not too old. Mm -hmm. I would say they're maybe in the last two or three years. Okay. Um, and I tend to... You know, I, I, I write about the same themes. My my themes that I like with poetry and with Flash are love, relationships, mm -hmm. family, uh, usually about, you know, some dysfunctional family. Right. And I also like to write about uh, the environment in some context. Oh, like, okay. You know, more of uh, a lot of my poems tend to be about... Um, 
you know, how we started out, the earth started out so nice until man got here. Right. <laughs> you know. And the, the, and the destruction has been accelerated the last couple hundred years. So. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's just like, I guess no one's listening, you know, like, and just, it just frustrates me so much right. um, how no one's really listening. I um, Am I right in saying that um, I, 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 from what you've read so far, there's definitely a little bit of dark uh, humor in, in what you write. Is that true? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. More, uh, more so in The Flash. I was going to say that. So yeah. the poetry is more... Um, more emotion or more yeah poetry tends my poetry tends to be more uh, more serious i right. think okay yeah um and, and the flesh i think it just i think flesh lends itself a little bit more to humor right except in my case just there <laughs> right I write, yeah. I write a lot of sad things too right. so yeah. um you know but um i write prose poetry maybe a little bit more than I used to. Okay. Prose poems are like, that's a whole other uh, genre, uh, you know, where it's like written in paragraph form, right. and it tends to just have more of a flow to it than okay. when you just write in broken lines. Right. You know. Um, so what's the step between prose poetry and flash fiction then? Well, you know, um, there's, there's a, like a form of flash called the micro. The micro is an even shorter flash. Right. Okay. And um, it, um, it has more of a story than a prose poem. So uh, like a prose poem is sort of like a, just somebody musing on something. Right. Where a, um, a micro, there's an actual character that has a problem and they solve it or, right. okay. or they don't. Cool. So. Um, so I definitely want you to read at least one more before we go, but I was um, just wanted to ask you about a little bit about um, Flash Boulevard. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So tell the listeners about that. So um, I'm the, edit, the Flash fiction editor of uh, two journals, and it's really kind of fun. And um, the, one is the South Florida Poetry Journal, and the other one is Flash Boulevard. And Flash Boulevard is connected to um, poet George Wallace's, um, who was on your podcast mm-hmm. a few weeks ago. Right. Um, his uh, his poetry bay um, empire, and because um, George does so many things, that's incredible. <laughs> He's like I always ask him if there's like ten of you. you know? Right, I know. Um, so. Um, he, well, I don't get that he sits around um, binge-watching uh, <laughs> <laughs> the latest HBO. Uh, he might. <laughs> who knows? He I'll might. have to ask him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he had a, a, he you know, he started a Facebook uh, group a few years ago called Poetry Bay. And um, he has poetrybay.org, uh, I think, which is an online journal. Um, but then he started a Facebook group, which was going to be like a little news Thing. Right. And um, eventually it morphed into um, other things. And one of them was Flash Boulevard, which was a column. He said, do you want to do a column of, you know, where you get flash fiction? So then it went to the web eventually. And it's been really great because Flash Boulevard um, is unique in terms of online journals because we feature one writer each week right i really uh, enjoy it i've i just um recently started uh, yeah we we, we um we'll take one writer and show maybe like three or four mm-hmm. of their stories right. 
and I don't think anybody else does that. Right. And writers get really excited about it sure. because you know it's like it's a different you know it's a different thing when you can see a group of people's stories sure. and not not only in a book right. but just yeah. like and how, how do you come upon the authors that are uh, featured? Well, you know, I I'm. I'm, I have a pretty good online presence at this uh, point. Right. Um, I'm like uh, on Twitter a lot because um, I follow a lot of people, and because of all the journals out there. And okay. if I get something, it's published, almost like a job so, for you. Well, you know, it kind of is yeah. because like I'll get up every day and I'll write and I'll, I'll then I have to do editing and then I have to do this and I also do these little prompt workshops right. myself. I mean, it's really cool because um, you yeah. told me earlier, I don't know if on the show or outside that you're retired, so yeah. you've developed a, a life that's really yeah. sustaining. Oh, um, it gives you something to really look forward to. Yeah, I'm, I'm like never bored. Right. You know, I just don't even know what that word means. I, yeah. I don't, and, I just, you know, I like to, um, you know, there's there's always, like, I can be reading Flash or poetry. I'm often in a workshop. I do workshops of my own. Nice. Um, besides going to readings and, you know, so there's always something You're a very do. busy woman. Yeah, there's always something yeah. to do. Um, so let's, yeah. um, why don't you read another one? I want to make sure you get at least another one in before we leave. Well, this one is a, a little bit different. Um, it has more of uh, an environmental twist to it and it's a little bit dark really dark actually okay this is i can called, handle it this is called terror at the top of the world they're coming jean louis says it's louder than yesterday his father is stirring their supper beans in a can he pounded open with a stone maybe jean louis says we should go norther there is no norther his father says he pours some of the beans into his shoe and gives the can to John Louis. I'm not even cold anymore, John Louis says, and look, the ice is turning back to water. Good, his father says, we will need that to drink. I can smell the smoke from all the fires, John Louis says. I couldn't smell them yesterday. That's why we have to practice not breathing, his father says. Soon, all the air will be gone. He takes a deep breath, his chest rising up with it. It's good we got here first, Jean-Louis says, eating the last of the beans. It's good the others didn't believe us. The air explodes out of his father's mouth. His father squints, looking south and then souther. They believe us now. There will be hundreds, there will be thousands of them, Jean-Louis says, millions. They will take all our water, take all our air. Don't be afraid, his father says. The weaker ones will die off. Some won't even make it. We're going to make it right, Jean-Louis says. Come on, his father says, practice with me. Try not to smell the smoke. The two of them standing straight as poles filling their chests with dimming air. Near, then nearer, the sound of thud boots on the ice crack, the sound of backpack babies crying, then whimpering, then not. Terrific. You're a really good writer. I'm so glad you, you. <laughs> um, took time to come on the show. Let me see your book again. Um, I, listeners, you've heard... Um, Francine, read these fantastic stories. They're all uh, in the book. They're all in the book. 
And uh, the best way to get this? Oh, um, on Amazon. You can get them on Amazon. You can get it on Amazon. Or if you go to um, my website, which I just um, put up about maybe three months ago, uh, FrancineWitt.com. My name, FrancineWitt.com. And, you know, you can buy my books. You can, And if you want to get it, it'll link you to Amazon or it'll link you to, if you want to get a signed copy, it'll link you how to get to, in touch with me. Um, you can see videos of me. You can because I'll eventually put this up there. Right. Does it also um, mention events that you're doing, uh, readings or? Uh, I don't. I don't have like um, an events page. I should okay. put one up. Yeah. Um, but it has like links to my publications okay. and just about anything you you know you cool. want to know because francinewood.com is like one stop shopping. All right. <laughs> you know? So yeah. Um, we still have a little bit of time, and I, if, if you don't mind, I want to read something I wrote today. Um, it's um, so one of my guests, uh, a few guests back, uh, Paul Shack. I used to work with him. Um, he's a barista. Um, we we worked in a cafe together, and um, he asked. He was on this, and then um, he recently um, did a play, Romeo and Juliet, in the park mm-hmm. that we talked about mm-hmm. with um, non gender specific um, actors. Right. Or roles, yeah. uh, it was great. Um, but he reached out to me and asked me if I would consider uh, doing a reading, uh, a character in a reading of a play that that he's doing with a friend of his. And this is very new territory for me. Um, I've never been involved in a play, and I don't know if um, because I'm now doing that with him, the, the idea of um, acting came out in a story. Mm-hmm. I um, was working today. We we're getting the cafe opened and this line popped in my head and uh, I found up writing a little st- a quick thing out of it. Um, the first line of, of the story. Uh, it's called Well Rehearsed Show. Sarah told the story with her words like a soliloquy, softly spoken. She was an actress after all. It was mesmerizing, mes- mesmerizingly sensual and captivating too. But he hardly understood it. He wasn't very educated after all. One thing he didn't know was words weren't free. There was a price to pay for her well-rehearsed show. They had been down this road many times before. He still loved her immensely. It was something true enough, though he wasn't great at revealing that fact at all. So he let her speak, hoping to grasp for the truth somewhere in her monologue that seemed to go on for longer than his attention span could keep up with, grasping clumsily at straws hoping that after the curtain dropped, she would still be here with him instead of taking her act somewhere else to another man who might understand her more. Mm. I like that. I like how you kind of like bring it into like like real life. and Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so um, towards the end of the show, is there anything um, besides, uh, that you want to part the listeners with besides what we've talked about? Um, well, you know, just, just to, to keep going with whatever you're doing, mm-hmm. you know, because... Um, it took me a long time till um, things sort of took off, you mm-hmm. know? Right. And it's like, it's important to like always just kind of not believe in yourself, but like just do whatever you like to do. So you went from that 13-year-old girl who wrote those yeah. poems yeah. Um, and have traveled quite a few places in life and yeah. now you're at a good place. Um, yeah, I feel, I feel good and I feel like I don't need to, you know, be... Um, at that uh, New York Times bestseller mm-hmm. level of right. success. And I, I think a lot of people get caught up in that. Right. Like if they're not that, then they're not writing. Right. 
And I, I think that's a big mistake. I think, you know, there's so many outlets for publication these days. Like right. what with you know, it's okay to publish online. It right. used to not be. I right. think it was sure. around. That's much more accepted. Just just this yeah. you know. I mean that's one thing good about the internet. You know, oh. there's so many ways to get your art out there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um I, I would just say like write send your work out, publish, go to workshops, do whatever you have to do, just keep at it. I I started writing uh, really just for myself and to get um, emotions that I had stored Mm -hmm. up or or stress, Mm -hmm. things that I was going through. Um, Then I started realizing, well, I liked writing and I liked making up or telling stories. Occasionally, it could be partially about me, like that last uh, story I just read. It's not really about me, but, you know, it was about acting, (laughs) actors. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it just opened up a, a lot of doors for me. Um, it really does. Yeah. yeah I, I met does. really cool people like you. I'm having a great time. And, and I don't have that aspiration. I just, the aspiration for me has already been in some ways mm-hmm. met or exceeded. Absolutely. I didn't expect all this. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's good. <laughs> yes. So um, we're going to play the theme song. Okay. Sadly, it's time to go. Okay. Nobody's going to kick us out, but. Yeah. So you've been listening to Storytelling on Orchard Street. I'm your host, Pete Salamita, and we had the pleasure of chatting with the terrific flash fiction and poet, flash fiction writer and poet, Francine Witt. Go check her out. And um, again, we're on, we're the studios in the P&T Knitwear Bookstore. They have readings also. They have a great collection of books and nice people that work here. They have a cafe. So come down here and check us out. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. Thank you all. Thank you.